Jaws for a Minute, the podcast which takes a deep dive into Steven Spielberg's 1975 classic film, Jaws, one minute at a time, or thereabouts. I'm MJ Smith. And I am Sarah Buttery, and we have a guest with us today from the Easy Riders Raging podcast. It is Chris. Welcome to the show, Chris. Hello. Good to be here. It's really great to have you. Um, Thanks so much for being here. And of course, uh, you know you know the way this goes if you've listened to previous episodes of the podcast. Uh, we need to ask you the Jaws question, um, which is, what is it you love about Jaws so much? And um, maybe a little bit about when you first saw it or why it is you have such a, a special relationship with this film. Well, it's just one of those films that always seemed to be on the, the TV when I was a kid. Like I, I remember it being a frequent sort of Saturday night viewing, sort of BBC One. Mm. Um, obviously in Britain, like yourself, Sarah. And um, yeah, it, it's just a, a perfectly put together film, really, mm. in, in terms of uh, characters and horror and drama. Like, it's, it's, a, it's a very hard film to fault. Mm-hmm. And it, like basically all the films of Steven Spielberg, you know, the films he directed and produced, seem to be sort of the you know the the films of my childhood really up even up to adulthood because he still makes great films but something like jaws something like et uh the goonies jurassic park back to the future mm-hmm. there are dozens of films by him that just properly take me back to I only mean, you know, remember enjoying them time and time again um and even like i rewatched jaws in full within the last couple of days in preparation for this and it's just like liquid cinema. Like it all just feels mm. so natural. Mm. Was the the key thing I wait came away with this watch? Like it just felt. It, it, there was a certain. I mean, maybe it's the seventies of it all, or shooting on location. But it just felt so real, mm. and mm. so it felt effortless. Even though clearly it isn't, but it just, just flows sort of perfectly, start to finish. Like there are so many. Like in fact, I was thinking your your podcast makes perfect sense because there are so many classic scenes. Mm. You go, oh, there's this bit, there's this bit, there's this bit. There's so <laughs> many like iconic moments and scenes that just sort of live long in the mind, basically. Mm. Um, and obviously, I have a slight further relevance to this film. Is this is a film set on an island, and I am like one of your at least one of your past guests from an island. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm from. A village on the outskirts of Cowes on the island of the Isle of Wight, which is at the mm. south of England, for anyone who isn't aware of that. And like Amity, it is a summer town. It's a, an island that's... Um, the, the key thing about the Isle of Wight is it's a yachting history and they, they do big yachting races in the summer. So it's just like Amity, it makes all its money in the summer through tourists and through sort of... Uh, sailing enthusiasts i guess they are um Mm. it's a town that comes alive for like 
two, three months of a year, and then goes back to becoming a sleepy, sort of quiet, uh, quiet town. Mm. And so that that wasn't something that really um, registered with me as a child, but as I've watched this as an adult, and I've watched this many times as an adult, you know, it's an easy film to revisit. That's the aspect, and you know, maybe it's just having not lived on the Isle of Wight for many years, but that's the aspect that comes away with me the most when I watch Jaws now, is the island mm. of it all. Mm. <laughs> I really love that. That's Yeah, there's, there's so much of Jaws, like you said, that just feels completely effortless, and in the first time since we started this podcast, I actually watched Jaws all the way through. Um, MJ broke before I did and watched it a few weeks ago. Um, longer ago than that now, I think. But yeah, I I was on another podcast talking about Jaws, so I, I watched it start to finish again. And it's just so fantastic. It just it, Doing it the way we're doing is kind of insane, and it did feel like I was doing something I shouldn't be doing when I watched Beyond a Minute. Um, but just everything in this film is is firing on all cylinders and doing things so effortlessly and so perfectly and this scene that we're talking about today i think is another great example of just things executed so simply but so effectively so the scene that we're going to be talking about this week is when uh hooper and brody go to the coroner's office to inspect uh, Chrissy's remains so they mentioned in the in the previous scene that this is where they were going to go next so the timestamp of this scene is 31 minutes and one second to 32 minutes and 47 seconds um and yeah I think I've, I've pretty much said what this entire scene is <laughs> this entire scene is is basically Hooper examining the remains of of Chrissy and there are so many great little moments in this scene i have th maybe the most notes i've ever written for a jaws moment <laughs> on, this, on this scene um so so be ready but um i'm gonna hand it over to you uh first chris as our as our guest so your your thoughts on this scene and anything that sort of um jumped out to you when you when you watched this moment with this scene when i was watching it 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 really made me think of uh sort of a scully autopsy scene in the x-files because the x-files was huge when i was younger mm. you know it's kind of an exposition scene so it also kind of made me think of kind of a uh, rupert giles reading a book about monsters <laughs> you know completely unaware that the actual villain is behind the camera mm -hmm. but um you know it's it's got that feel this scene is mainly there to to show that hooper is the brains of this operation because ultimately i guess when they become this free man mission it's kind of he's the brains uh brody's the the heart and hooper's the the brawn mm -hmm. i guess and so partly we're establishing sort of iq knowledge and passion of hooper through his conduct during the scene and also just sort of uh i guess dwelling on the the horror of because because we as the viewers know it's a shark by this stage mm -hmm. we don't need convincing but brody does get convinced i guess in this scene or, or hereabouts and it's kind of about just sort of dwelling on the horror that the the shark can do and and there are there are little bits to it that i catch my attention uh, like say, Hooper's got his sort of uh, Britney Spears mic on, <laughs> possibly recording his own podcast. 
seems like something he, he, he I could see him having his own show let's be honest Hooper would definitely have a podcast 100% <laughs> Cast. Well, yeah, because he's he's recording his 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 voiceover as he's doing it. So you go, what is he going to do with it? Is he going to start his own podcast? Um, <laughs> you know, um, and also he get he asks for a, a drink of water, and he gets handed the tiniest cup of water you've ever seen in your life. <laughs> it's so small. Hmm. It probably reminded me of um, Brody's Dixie cup in the film Mallrats. If you're familiar with Mallrats, mm-hmm. yeah. um, <clears throat> yep. Which obviously tips his hat a lot to the film Jaws in the naming of the characters um, but yeah you've got you've got the bit the big moment of this scene I guess is the line this was no boating accident mm-hmm. which I felt like could even be like a tagline on the poster mm. mm-hmm. and then when I was just going for a walk this afternoon I was thinking what was the tagline I think it was uh, just when you thought it was safe to go back in the water yeah I think so yeah yeah and then it's thinking, well, that doesn't really make sense because did we think it was safe before? I mean, not in British waters. It's <laughs> disgusting. <laughs> yeah, I think that was the tagline. Um, I'm just checking that now, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, so perhaps this line would have made a better tagline. I'm just saying. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, um, I also, I don't know if you agree, but you know, because um, it's, it's a simple scene, you know, it's a simply done, it's not like a big effect scene, a big, it's just three men in the room mm-hmm. um but there's the shot with the the severed hand mm-hmm. that looks to me like it was a late addition to the film a la the floating head scene yeah you know where the head bobs up and that was added late in the day supposedly yeah. i wonder if this this severed hand was added in the same way because it's a bit gruesome because it doesn't flow mm-hmm. with the, the the footage around it yeah, in fact, I was I was reading about that because as I, when you watch the same scene uh, ten times over, you tend to notice <laughs> tend to notice things, and I noticed that the 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 edit was a bit rough at that point, and we've praised the editing in this film so many times, so I was like, it's not that it is bad, it's just jarring, and it didn't it yes. felt a little out of place. So I I did do a bit of reading about it, and I think it was a late addition, although I couldn't find anything super conclusive because it wasn't there's not like there's several different iterations of the script but there's nothing that uh sort of adds anything in around that line that hooper says even because even that line that he says when he holds up the hand he said this is what happens but it sort of trails off and you even get the the dot 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 in the subtitles as well so it's it doesn't really go anywhere it's just kind of left hanging and it also doesn't it doesn't sound like it was said by richard dreyfus in that scene as he was filming so i don't know if it was if it was added in post i saw something as well where it was like it it might not even be richard dreyfus's hand like holding up the the severed hand that they might have just got like a stand-in or something as they added that bit in late but yeah you're you're right to notice something slightly different about that moment because i think it was something that was added in and i think it's effective to see a small amount of gore in this scene but also i think richard dreyfus does such a fantastic job of conveying horror at what he is seeing without us seeing anything and that's one of the things that is so effective about this scene for me and why i went absolutely nuts on writing notes about it because this scene does so much in those small and quick reactions the looks exchanged between characters 
the the sort of non-spoken things as well that heavy breathing that richard dreyfus does when he sort of first sees the remains when the cover is pulled back is so great um and just the the sort of the look he does as well when he sees that the remains of this girl are in like a little plastic tub um is so brilliantly done i mean you're saying that how small his tiny wee little cup of water is but also the fact that what remains of chrissy is in this like tiny little plastic box is really quite horrifying and yeah there's so so much great acting in this scene i've got my essay ready again for why roy scheider is one of the greatest actors of all time um because of some things he does in this scene but yeah this is a great really great moment for richard dreyfus to to shine this scene is kind of all about him as doing doing what he knows how to do and and showing us what he is going to bring to the table later on in the film and, and he's bringing the knowledge and the and the science side of things well often i've heard for many years you know people always say uh, that the shark looks fake in jewels that's one of those phrases you've heard you know it's even in back to the future too um <laughs> But I've I've never really found that. I mean, I've I've never seen a shark, mm. like a, like a proper you know decent shark in in person. So I can't judge. But to me, it always looks great, and it mm. still did when I watched it this week on DVD. Mm. But what people don't say is that hand does look a bit fake. <laughs> and again, yeah. I've never seen a severed hand. To be fair, mm. but mm-hmm. it looked a bit like something made by you know an effects guy. Yeah, but, that shot is definitely there's something suspicious about it. Like the <laughs> the blocking is all off. Like it, it, it like it doesn't quite break like the 180 degree rule or whatever, but it is close. It's it's really jarring to see that that edit within the context of everything and Sarah like you said that line he says makes zero sense. Mm-hmm, like mm-hmm with what he's saying it doesn't i don't know that interjection interjection feels weird it sounds weird um it definitely was not recorded in the room the room noise is not there Mm. in that line at all um that said i do think it's really effective i think it's uh effective on a few levels i think it shows um the audience why Hooper is having such a hard time with it, particularly, you know, when he takes the the sheet off of the the plastic tub is when he really his panic kind of kicks into overdrive in the scene. But it also illustrates that like how big of a cover up this was. Like how mm-hmm how much they really screwed the residents of Amity and, you know, uh, the Kittner family in particular, mm-hmm. having this evidence. I mean, it's it's a smoking gun, right? Or a telltale heart. Like, it's, it, it's, it's just there in front of them, plain as day. Like, they're confronted by the weight of their grievances in the, uh, that, not grievances, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Sins, mm-hmm. I guess. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and uh, they're they're staring at it, you know, face to hand. And uh, it 
it's undeniable. Like the it's this is the medical examiner, right? That told him, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. "Hey, this was a boating accident, and this is the guy who didn't push back." And now, this third party who has no idea that any of this previous drama happened surrounding it is walking in like, "How did you? How did you screw this up?" Like it, fe- it feels like William Hurd at the end of uh, a history of violence, where he's like, "How did you fuck this up?" <laughs> Well, you know what the scene needs? The scene really needs um, Brody saying something and then Hooper saying, talk to the hand. <laughs> you know, that would be perfect. <laughs> this goes with our uh, Where's the Beef from a few weeks ago, just uh, yep. chucking in these 90s catchphrases. <laughs> yeah. Like I say, it's got, it's got a great cut at the end, The um, going straight from It Was a Shark, sort of cut to a dead shark. That is a lovely mm-hmm. bit of bit of business you know uh is it verna fields did she edit the film she did is that right? she did yeah hmm. um and like i said i'm not blaming that cut on her with the addition of the hand I, I, to me it's clear they said look here's a bit of gore we want to shove in there and she's going to go well it's not going to fit and they're like just get it in there mm. it, it no one will overly scrutinize it on a podcast in about 40 years <laughs> you know and she said what's just, a podcast and they said you know that thing that hooper was recording in the scene <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> hmm. that's exactly how it went. Um, I think it was in the Jaws log, that that verbatim. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It it smacks of a studio interference, like some dude in a suit just being like, "We need more severed hands uh, up in this film," and just. Make- I I don't even think it was the studio. I think it was Steve, to be honest, because mm. I know I he so was too. big on putting the the head bit in sure, for another yeah. scare, and so I think this was probably in the same sort of manner of let's put in a bit more gore as well while we're while we're zhuzhing it up Mm. yeah i i can i can take or leave the the severed hand in this i it does look very it does look very fake um but the some of the detail is still pretty gross that sort of it literally looks like a like a bit of like the like the fat or the tissue that's hanging off of it and it's Mm -hmm. really quite grim i think the actual hand itself looks like it is made of plastic but the the gore bit is actually i think pretty good like for for its time but it definitely does yeah it does reek of late inclusion i think into into the film which we've which we've sort of established but one thing that i found interesting and it's actually brody's first line so the second that he walks into the room um and he says let's show mr hooper our accident here and I'm going to make the Hot Fuzz comparison again because I was like, I know there's something about accidents in Hot Fuzz. Um, and it's when, I think, when there's been the traffic uh, collision or mm. something and the heads have been chopped mm-hmm. off. <laughs> and there's and um, uh, Nick Frost's character is like, the, you know, traffic accident or road accident or something like that. And Simon Pegg's character is like, you shouldn't say accident because it implies there's nobody to blame. So this made me think of that. But I also think that the delivery of this line is quite he is trying Brody is trying to look professional in front of the medical inspector but also not look like he is pandering too much to them in front of his new pal Hooper so when he sort of says let's show Mr. Hooper our accident here I don't I I think that there is something in the way that he says that the sort of slight subtlety and the emphasis on accident 
that he knows he knows full well at this point but what's written on the form is is boating accident or whatever or boat propeller and you know that's what this this guy has gone on the record to say um but there's also a really great moment of so i think hooper is like reading the clipboard or the the information that has been passed to him mm-hmm. and he he says probable boating accident um but you can really sense the disdain in the way that he says that i mean hooper is not a guy who hides his emotions as we know he's pretty sarky and he's going to say exactly what he's thinking um but there's just the quickest the quickest most minute of glances that him and brody share literally behind the medical inspector's back so they're looking at each other like we know this isn't that but you know we have to i'm the expert here to explain why that wasn't the case but yeah it's they're they're really it just goes to show i mean we we spoke about in previous episodes and this sort of feels like we're getting a lot of those questions answered now why chrissy's death wasn't being spoken about at the town meeting or in relation to alex's death or anything else that was that was happening on the island to do with the shark and and why brody wasn't sort of calling on that as as far as the island is uh, you know the town's people on the island are, confer- uh, are concerned this is case closed they've they, they they did change the reports they they changed where it says cause of you know cause of accident or cause of death or whatever to probable boating accident so that paperwork has been has been has been filed you know put away stamped case closed as far as they're concerned and that's very much not the case but that sort of goes to you know why this wasn't being brought up in those conversations in the town meeting in particular i think i just wish he would have been like uh, you've got a typo here it's uh <laughs> there's an o there's an o in coroner <laughs> That would have been great. <laughs> the coroner was just thinking, bloody mainlanders, I've got to get to my karate lesson soon, you know. That's that's what everyone's doing. <laughs> I have fences to chop. Yeah. I have fences to karate yeah. chop. Um, yeah, no. Uh, so Roy Scheider is outstanding in this scene. He's so good. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, for the class I'm taking, watched The French Connection for the very first time, um, which also didn't not convince me that martin brody is a witness protection version of (laughs) cloudy i told you i didn't know i didn't know how the movie ended and watching it i was like oh no he definitely was like all right i'm out i i gotta get away from this place so he is a hundred percent cloudy from <laughs> from the French connection in this movie. That is headcanon to me. Um but he's he's great in that movie. I was a little confused about why he got nominated for Best Supporting Actor because I felt like on the page there wasn't a lot of character. Like there's not a ton of character to Cloudy. Maybe I missed it on the first go round, but he's really great at reacting to Popeye in the movie. Mm-hmm. And there's one scene that just goes to show, like, the, the um, there's a scene really towards the beginning of the film, right before the plot kicks in proper, where he is driving around with Gene Hackman, Popeye, Doyle, and they're, 
they're tailing this guy who's like of interest to Gene Hackman's character, mm-hmm. but they see this guy meeting with like po- popular drug drug lords, and so they're kind of trying to trace like what his connection might be. Just doing some almost like after hours investigation because they see him at a bar, and that's when they decide to start tailing him. But they're at it all night. They follow this guy from the bar all across town doing pickups, doing drop-offs, just kind of trying to figure out what this guy's whole deal is. And over the course of the sequence, you see Roy Scheider act progressively more tired because he's been up all night. And it's great because it's this, it's really subtle tired acting too. He's not overselling it. He's not nodding off at the, you know, in the passenger seat and bumping his head on the window and stuff like that. But his eyes are getting droopier and it's just, it's over. It's really gradual over the course of the entire sequence. His eyes are getting closer closer and closer to just him knocking out right there in the passenger mm. seat. And it's really great. And there's, there's, he's really great at sharing looks with people at the same, at the same thing at the end of that sequence, when they determine, Oh, this guy is involved. He's doing some sort of pick up and drop off of either product or currency or both. Gene Hackman turns to Roy Scheider and looks at him and Roy Scheider changes his focus from the building they're staking out to Gene Hackman. And the, the, he conveys everything that needs to be said with that one look. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's like probably the juiciest character portion of that character. Uh, outside of that, he's, it's a lot of standing <laughs> around waiting for Gene Hackman to do stuff. Um, but he's really great in that whole sequence. And this reminds me of it so much. Um, because he shares that little look with Hooper uh, behind the, the 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 medical inspector's back, and then him just like pulling out a smoke, like that's that would be such a cop <laughs> thing to do. Like he's just used to being around dead bodies. It comes with the nature of the job, and uh, you know just how sort of cavalier he is about being in the presence of what what used to be Chrissy Watkins versus the borderline panic attack that Hooper's having is it's really great juxtaposition between the two characters. I did think actually, um, this was probably Arnie Hammer's favorite scene in the film. Incidentally. Oh, do you mean because there's, do you mean because there's a little army in it? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that was bad, but I loved it. <laughs> <laughs> Oh dear. <laughs> uh, just as a yeah. <laughs> I guess that Kings of Leon song that Harley's working on could could also be Army Hammer's theme song, huh? Yeah, yeah. What was it? Like I could t- to the tune of "You Somebody." I just like, want to eat somebody. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Is Army Hammer's favorite song? I really don't want to get sued by Army Hammer. Um, let's. <laughs> <laughs> It's allegedly Army Hammer's favorite scene. Yeah. <laughs> allegedly. We're going to have to put like a caveat on this show now. Just like these are the opinions of we don't know anything. Uh, we're just <laughs> speculating. Uh... <laughs> we don't we know the pictures that he of Army has Hammer real or imagined. <laughs> I mean, just that title has got to be his favorite movie, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I distracted from my point. I was gonna say my 
if I was to pick a favourite Roy Scheider moment in just this scene, I mean, there's a lot, and I would like to do a top 10 Roy Scheider in Jaws uh, moments list when we wrap up this podcast, um, because my list is growing every single week. But my favourite in, in this particular scene, it's the look that he gives the medical inspector when Hooper is saying you know his sort of final speech as he's as he's winding up this wasn't a propeller it wasn't a boating accident it wasn't a coral it wasn't jack the ripper and you're concentrating on what hooper is saying but we're we're not seeing hooper we're seeing brody and he just gives this just the most subtle of looks to the to the medical inspector we don't see the medical inspector's face i can only presume he is face in the wall in shame or something is in the naughty corner because he knows what he did um but the it's just that that look is so great it says so much there's a sort of slight a very slight smile as well but not a sort of smarmy i told you so you know i'm smart you're dumb kind of thing it's just a like a really knowing look where he's just like yeah so we've wasted all this <laughs> all this time you know not thinking we were dealing with a shark when what i said from the start what i typed on that report you know in the first 5 minutes or whatever is is what has is what has happened and now here is the guy telling us that that's exactly what happened yeah and the way the medical examiner reacts to like he knows his numbers up and mm-hmm. There's there's no way around it, you know. There's no reason for this guy to come in or be paid off by Brody or whatever. Um, and I love the part at the beginning of this scene where they're sort of like, they're sort of the 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 for lack of a better the shame sandwich going down the line. <laughs> so like Hooper's Hooper's in the foreground, being very mad about the. Uh, the fact that they said it's a boating accident Mm -hmm. in the middle, you have the medical examiner who's still like standing there looming over Hooper trying to act like maybe if I stand close enough to this guy, I can just put in his brain. I will just do an inception (laughs) that this was in fact a boating accident. Mm -hmm. And then uh, once again, Brody far removed given the confines of the room from the situation kind of hanging out at the outskirts not i mean involved for sure but not you know right in the thick of it not resigned to what's about to happen but knowingly standing there with his hands on his hips just like i i mean i know what's coming i I, we all were there when the kittner boy died like Mm -hmm. i i know what you're not going to say anything that surprises me in this in this moment Mm -hmm. But you've got the thing with the medical, uh, the, the 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 what's he? What is he? Medical, the the guy with the, the clipboard, or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I know the um. Obviously, you've touched on the the handling of pandemic in past episodes, um, because mm. because mm. you you can't not really in current times because it's so many echoes. But he's kind of like your Chris Whitty, whereby he's kind of caught between rock and a hard place. Mm-hmm. Like he's he's. You know, under under pressure from political forces, and at the same time trying to do his job as a professional and do the right thing. He's mm. he's in a bind, mm. um, and he's he's from an island, and people from island islands 
in my experience, they're, they're not great with change. Mm. Mm. They're not used to change. And to take this seriously, much as, you know, getting our two countries to take the coronavirus seriously involves great change. And that's where the, the rub is, really. Yeah, that's a very that's a very good point actually, and I, I think we've given this guy quite a bad rap in previous episodes because he he does he does change the report, and you sort of have to think this guy, particularly if he's a medical professional, he must know and you must must know that this you know the way he changes it so quickly just because of the pressure from from Larry and the heavies, but yeah, he he is in that position exactly like some of the doctors and scientists are in dealing with this current pandemic i mean is it uh, fauci the american guy mm-hmm. um yeah i mean he had a <laughs> he had a time on his hands trying to deal with the nonsense coming out of trump's mouth and i will i will never forget like when trump was saying about like drinking bleach and i can't remember the, the woman's name but it, it just like the camera just burks amy burks. yeah the camera just like cuts across to her and it's <laughs> it's not acting it's real life but yeah she is just like everything on her face is just like no <laughs> yeah i like i don't know how she wasn't just like woof uh <laughs> yeah or just like tackles him off the stage or something is like don't yeah. listen to this yeah. man, well, man. But and then also, did you guys see the um, the the first conference, the first press conference that Fauci did after Biden was inaugurated? He looked like a weight had been lifted off of his shoulders. <laughs> it was <laughs> night and day. Yeah, it must. Be, it, yeah. Thing is, it must be difficult for these the people that are in that in that particular profession where they are you know they are they are medically trained or scientifically trained or whatever and that's their area of expertise and then they're suddenly roped into politics i mean those things don't really go that well together so yeah yeah i i still i i'm not letting this guy off completely because he did lie and i still get the impression that he was maybe accepting some sort of bribe from from mayor vaughan but our anger should be directed towards mayor vaughan not necessarily this guy and he says nothing in this scene or very very little anyway so he is not trying to defend himself at this point he's not trying to say it wasn't me uh i was framed or or anything like that he is i think he knows like like i said earlier he knows what he did he's now in the in the corner of shame facing what he is what well, you're he is angry now. at mayor vaughan i'm angry at the people that gave him that 80 seat majority to be <laughs> <laughs> yeah they need to answer yeah but, but that's just me <laughs> oh mayor vaughan he's a he's a character <laughs> he really um, is a character that's aged much better than he really should <laughs> much. yeah what a rascal. <laughs> mm. Yep. But, um... Yeah, well, I mean, I've said it before and I'll say it again. The the big difference between real life and Maravon is eventually Maravon realizes he was wrong. Mm. Mm-hmm. It's true. Mm-hmm. Uh, only about, what, three or four people died under Maravon's shark fiasco. Uh-huh. Um, yep. So we, we should both be so glad of those numbers. <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, really. You know. <laughs> 
Well, yeah, that's the thing. Like, like Mayor Vaughan basically has one big public fiasco. Like, there's there's other deaths, but the the Kitner boy basically scares him into into action. Mm. Um, that did not happen in the UK or the US in 2020. <laughs> sure didn't. No. Nope. <laughs> now they're telling us to wear two masks. That's what we got out of this. But yeah, because I did because obviously because uh, I do Easy Riders Raging podcast, which is a retro film podcast. Mm. But I also have another podcast I did before that, which was called The Spielberg Pod, where Ooh. we looked exclusively at the films of Steven Spielberg. Mm. Um, so we went through all the the films he directed and a bunch of this produced. And we talked about Jaws. But obviously we recorded that in about 2015 or 2016. And I was thinking today how if we were recording it today, we it would be a vastly different conversation because, like I said, there's so much current events, you know, that that would probably dominate the conversation. Yeah, it's mm. it, it's it's one of those things that it, Jaws has relevance at so many different points in in history, and even just with a lot of people were sort of comparing um, Boris Johnson and Trump and their sort of like terrible leadership to to Mayor Vaughan, but it's only like in the last year with the sort of situation with the pandemic that even more people have been realizing like how many parallels there are and. I was sort of scouting through some of the, on one of the many times that Jaws was on ITV4 in the last two weeks. Um, I was looking through like some of the tweets and seeing what people were saying. And I I saw someone who was talking about like, wow, this this film is incredibly relevant to right now. Like why are more people mm. not, <laughs> not talking about this? And then I was, of course I was there lurking just like, well, if you want to listen to a podcast that... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> that talks a lot about that then uh then then yeah but yeah this this is one of those it's because larry's not involved in this scene you don't expect that kind of political discussion to come into it as much but it's still very much it's still very much there and nope. do we hmm. see much of the medical inspector after this i think he's pretty on the sidelines after this point i feel it's he's had his moment now and is now possibly disgraced and out of work well it's like all these things they bring them out for a couple of daily briefings they <laughs> if, if they really 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 die in their ass then they shuffle them away again you know? um yeah you know what i mean so some of them some of them are better at doing that that trash than others mm. you know whereas others some some people once they've been on and they've said something outrageously horrendous they just go right we cannot put uh, let's say Preeti Patel back on just because you know the mm. things she'll she'll say are just mm. kind of going to be abhorrent, and you go, well, we can't. Just, it's kind of like um, <laughs> I was describing the 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 way they do that kind of thing um, to get them to do the rounds of politics. My friend yesterday, they're like the pawns on the chessboard. They just throw them out, mm -hmm. and they're, they're low ranking people, and they just the pawns just die because that's the nature of chess. <laughs> Um, yeah throwing them to the because i know about chess now i've watched the queen's the queen's gambit you know i know about chess <laughs> i was watching the queen's gambit and i was thinking yeah maybe i should tour the world as like a young chess prodigy <laughs> i'm thinking well i'm not young i'm not that good at chess and you can't travel at the moment well so maybe maybe that career path isn't for me <laughs> uh, you could be the the queen's gambit of online chess mm. just take a lot of drugs and stare at chess or switch <laughs> games. I saw 
I saw a video that said, watch his Queen Gambit once, and this guy just took a mystery pill and stared at a Candyland board that was on his ceiling. <laughs> so... <laughs> I'm quite good at oh, Monopoly. Wow. <laughs> yeah. I mean... I'm, well, there I'm, you go. There we go. I'm, I'm, not, I'm, I'm not a nice person when I play Monopoly, but... Um, <laughs> you know, I don't think but, you're supposed like, to be. For like a couple of hours, I get to live my fantasy of owning property. <laughs> <laughs> the millennial dream. It really is. <laughs> Yeah, I remember because I used to play it loads when I was a kid. And my grandma would say, "Oh, you're going to own loads of property when you're when you're older." Oh boy, was she wrong! <laughs> if only it was as easy as owning those little plastic houses. <laughs> I, I told her I won't own I won't own property. I'll own podcasts instead. That's like having property. <laughs> it's the property of people born when I was born. Yep. <laughs> yeah. 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 If you can't buy a house, are you going to auction off your podcast. podcast though? If if uh, if people land on them, you have to auction them off. <laughs> yeah, I put I put hotels on my podcasts. <laughs> but, um, this podcast is behind a hotel paywall. You owe us six hundred dollars <laughs> to listen to this episode. Oh, if only. Well, the, 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 the thing I come away with most from the film, <laughs> like people do mention the mainland, mm. and they do refer to people as islanders. But they don't dwell for my money enough on people talking about people from the mainland. Like they say tourists, tourists are coming and stuff. But like in my experience, people are, they really use like the term mainlander is used a lot Mm. or grockle for a tourist or an overner. Or particularly because I'm from a yachting town, they use the the term yachties quite a lot. People come over to sail yachties. Mm. And so there's, there's many terms and, you know, you you really feel they 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 don't dwell for my money enough on the them and us part of the island because that fundamentally is the nature of an island it's they're over there we're over here you know and the you know, the 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 meeting of the two you know or even just the fact that you know people on an island define themselves by their relationship to the water like in terms of tourism, they make their money through being near the water or, you know, fishermen or jobs that relate to the water. But yet in this film, it's about the idea that the water, the water that defines who they are, that they find comforting and calming, because that's my experience of being near water, is actually trying to kill them. Mm-hmm. And so it's it, these are the things that I think I, I, I get caught up watching this film in my own history of yeah being from an island and the them and us is a is a really interesting thing about because obviously the uk is an island nation but yet there are islands in that island um and and there are and there are there are, diff, there are different behaviors on islands mm. you know it's um like like in the like i remember talking to some friends because i moved to uh london to go to university in sort of just after the millennium and stuff and i remember saying to my friend oh, do you remember like around 2000 when uh pyramid schemes were everywhere <laughs> and my friend said i don't know what you're talking about i was like like 2000 you couldn't move for pyramid schemes <laughs> and it turned out i had to do a bit of bit of bit of early googling that it didn't happen to the uk it happened to the isle of wight it got taken over by pyramid schemes <laughs> because small small communities are more susceptible mm. 
to that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And there was there was a few months where, like, any time I'd go into work, someone would try and con me to get invo- to invest in their pyramid scheme. Or you'd meet someone at school in sick form, and they'd say, oh, do you want to invest in my scheme? <laughs> and it was a, a surreal time looking back. Mm. And it was it was only when I was like an adult and I learned that. No, that wasn't everywhere. It wasn't like a universal thing. <laughs> it was just an Isle of Wight thing. <laughs> Pyramid schemes. That um, happens in an episode of Schitt's Creek. The, the, the two main character women, the mother and daughter, start a pyramid scheme selling... I think beauty products or something and they get all the women of the town together to like, but they dupe them into coming to a party and it turns out to be one of these surprise, like, Hey, we're going to sell you stuff parties. (laughs) And the women sit through the entire uh, presentation and they're like, Mm. uh, at the end, none of them want to buy any of the product. And they're like, yeah, I still have cases from when I tried selling it. The whole, that craze came through here about three years ago (laughs) and everyone got on board and we were all trying to sell our product to each other because there's no one else here <laughs> so we all ended up with it and we we're still we're still running off that supply mm. yeah i guess it in in small places it feel it it feels like a bigger thing if that makes sense well also it was kind of as the internet was it was it, i think it was about 2000 or perhaps 99 mm. and so the internet wasn't quite um quite what it has become and unless the local paper and the county press picked up on it then there was it wasn't being reported on mm. it was just kind of something you'd hear um and also yeah, cause I, because this film yeah preparing for this it, it made me think a lot about home mm. and i remembered um writing something in a, like a, like a notepad when i was traveling one stage and i described the um the place I'm from is a, a beautiful prison. Mm. Quite pretentious, obviously. But <laughs> that aside, because <laughs> um, there, there is something of, uh, you know, of uh, there's a lot of beauty being in the coasts and, you know, being outside of a big city or big... Th- but the the film here we have, it's, it's about um, a place that's turning from a mood of sort of splendid isolation... Mm to a feeling of being trapped mm-hmm. on a sort of nightmare death place. Yeah. And I think that echoes in the UK in the last year, <laughs> England especially, you know, the last couple of years, you know, mm. it went from being, oh, this is this, this, this quaint sort of, you know, very pretty place with generally sensible people to being a place of just sort of death and they've, and you can't leave. They removed your freedom. <laughs> you can't leave. Even if we um, wanted to. Hmm. <laughs> I was going to say, even with the Isle of Wight, like, because you have people that are islanders, I guess people that are born on the island. Like, um, sometimes I hear people say that um, Brody's wife is an islander, but I'm sure she's not, because there's that conversation about, um, about how, how do I become an islander? Yeah. And so she's clearly not born there. Um, mm. um, but there is that thing, yeah. Like, I, I always try and think, is my dad an islander? Because he was born on the mainland and he lived there till he's about you know five or six or so so you go he, he extensively is even though because he, he's lived there for about another say 60 years like i guess that makes him an islander mm. but there's a term yeah. for people uh the term cool heads and that's a term for people that are like proper islanders <laughs> who've got two generations back mm. both born on the isle of Wight on either side 
and it's kind of a weird kind of like elitism is you go like well who cares <laughs> <laughs> but it's a term and you'll see pubs called the cool kid and stuff oh, wow. um hmm. it's just an odd thing of sort of who's the most islander i don't know it's weird <laughs> I mean, like I say, it's, it's an odd place. <laughs> Obviously, there is this idea that we see frequently in Jaws about the the islanders and the outsiders. And what's interesting about what happens after this after this scene or when sort of things get back to normal, I guess, when they do sort of open up the open up the beaches against the, the better judgment is the that all happens after they have seemingly got this pretty conclusive uh findings that that chrissy was killed by a shark um and yet they just then go and open up the island anyway but um both hooper is, is that the bit where they do eat out to help out what's that sorry is that the bit where they do oh. eat out to help out <laughs> Yes, I didn't quite catch what you heard. Yes, it's it's definitely reminiscent of when our government were like, hey, go to mm. the pub to save people's lives, oh. um, which worked splendidly. Um, yeah, it's... <laughs> I mean, it was t- t- tell the British people what they want to hear. Go to the pub or to a cafe and have cheap food. You, go, you really yeah. are playing, to, you know, singing to the singing to the choir. Yeah, you will save people's lives by going to the pub. But um, you're 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 helping by going to the pub. You go, wow, I'm I'm like a modern day fucking Captain America. Basically a Get hero. Off <laughs> Get off the keyboard. Get off the cat. Uh, Sorry, I'm, I'm also fighting my cat at the same time. That's <laughs> right. Um, yeah, what I was going to say is that. The it's the two outsiders who are then trying to convince these people that and, and you'd think that you know strength in numbers that Brody now having Hooper to sort of back him up and he's the science guy and he has seen the evidence and concluded that this was not a boating accident this is a shark or it was a shark um and then obviously we have the you know we have the red herring with the the tiger shark that's caught so they sort of think job done the shark was caught we don't need to listen to these guys we don't need to listen to reason but i think part of what makes it so hard for them to try and convince larry and the rest of the people in amity what is going on is because they are the outsiders so it's frustrating and you do sort of feel even more like you're just watching a car crash in slow motion from from this point on because we know we've been told it's a shark this is what it is um and yet they they don't listen and things kind of get worse from that point um a lot of the problems really could have been avoided if they'd have just listened to the people who knew what they were talking about at at this stage but yeah there's that that real distrust i think of of outsiders um which is where that uh them and us thing that you were talking about chris where that comes where that comes in with the people of amity is that they don't like listening to the opinion of those who aren't from the island um and that's where a lot of the problems come from and it this this story i think could only happen on an island um i just i don't know how well it would work or how effective it would be if it wasn't because i think it does need that those people who are not listening to what they're being told and and why that is and what it is about the nature of being an islander that just means you immediately distrust everyone who's you know not from round there um which to a lot of us sounds absolutely mad but 
it i guess makes sense if you're from that sort of small community that's that is how people would react in that situation i guess Hmm. yeah but i mean they, they when they arrive they look at their number plates like number plates when i was uh, <laughs> living on the Isle is a big thing like um uh when i was younger dl was the, the start of an isle of white number mm. plate and so if a car sort of cut you up on sort of the the dual carriageway or whatever um oh bloody mainlander <laughs> why well they haven't got dl in their number plate <laughs> i remember my mum said something she didn't say bloody because my parents don't swear um she said, oh, Mainlander or whatever. And I was like, well, you don't have a DL number plate. You got this car from the mainland. <laughs> she said, well, s- still, point still remains. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, this is this instant, like, just look at their number plate. They're not one of us. It's that kind of, it's an interesting kind of um, yeah, thing. Yeah. But but also it's, it's quite apparent with the people because what's different with Jaws to, to, to where I'm from, I guess, is the, the people that, flood the the local town for the summer for the yachting they've got a lot mm. of money mm. like suddenly pims and champagne are everywhere <laughs> in my small town and like deck shoes and like, jumpers mm-hmm. tied around the shoulder that kind of thing mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and that's not the general done thing on the isle of Wight. it's it's not it's not it's, it's generally not a wealthy place you know um and so there is a clear class divide as well i mm-hmm. guess well, that, that that could be the British in me because apparently we're obsessed by class and I think that's true. <laughs> um, maybe not so much in America. Class isn't no, the same it, kind of issue. It definitely but, is. So like um, Pismo, like my my town, Bakersfield, we're pretty middle class to lower middle class for the majority. And the, the, the we're the people who go to Pismo, right? And so, and Pismo's a little more upper middle class. And then there are parts of Southern California coast that are really upper class, like Huntington Beach area, um, Laguna mm. Beach, the, you know, yeah, Newport, Newport. Is, a, is a big one. And for the most part, Bakersfield people don't really go there because they don't have the money to have like a beach house there, whereas they will have the money for a beach house on the central coast in Pismo or San Luis Obispo or Morro Bay. That, that cluster is kind of where the middle class goes and then the upper class goes to um, the southern, the really southern California beaches. So we definitely have that, uh, mm. have that that divide here. Like I said, we don't have a ton of islands, but yeah, there's the um, the 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 beach culture. And actually, here uh, the people who come from the 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 main from inland to the beaches, they're called shoebies because they're often wearing tennis shoes on the beach. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Yep, no, I can see that. <laughs> yeah, I I did have one final thing to mention about this scene. I don't know if you guys had anything else that you that you wanted to mention. Sorry, I just <laughs> we went we went on a real uh, islanders uh, island trip there, but mm. it's <laughs> all relevant to to the scene and to the film. But yeah, did you guys have anything else that you wanted to to mention about this scene? Uh, I don't, I, you know, I mentioned pyramid schemes, cool kids. You know, what else is there um, to talk you about? Hit, you hit everything. Uh, I think I wanted to say on the head, Sarah. Actually, the 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 <laughs> that bit at the beginning when he says probable boating accident and the way he looks at that plastic tub that, of what remains of Chrissy Watkins is, uh, it's so great. It's like a little funny, even though the situation isn't funny. 
but he's just like dumbfounded mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. anyone could be so stupid <laughs> and he yeah. he just wears it on his sleeve and Richard, man Richard Dreyfus is so good and uh mm-hmm. I also wish that when he said it wasn't Jack the Ripper Brody was like no one said that was an option Hooper I don't know this isn't look I know this is a time travel movie but time after time is a separate movie from this one (laughs) Uh, the Christopher Reed no not time after time what's it called uh oh gosh Jack the Ripper time travel movie yeah it is time after time okay I'm thinking of yeah, somewhere, somewhere in time. time sorry yeah this is the Malcolm McDowell one <laughs> yeah <laughs> but 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 when um uh Hooper mentioned Jack the Ripper because I'm sort of sort of so deep in WandaVision and the way to the, the way that's why my brain at the moment I was thinking <laughs> oh, maybe it is bloody Jack the Ripper <laughs> you know it's anything's possible like there's only three episodes left it's possible it's Jack the Ripper <laughs> That's very true. <laughs> mm. and, I, and I thought that even though I've seen this film yeah. about 30 times, I'd, I'd probably guess just at, at a ballpark figure, let's say 30 to 40 mm-hmm. times. Um, I do like that he says that they like his, I think his snark comes out as a defense mechanism most of the time. I think he's very, he's got a lot of anxieties about uh, the world. It seems like he's a very neurotic type of guy, which like, you know, hashtag relatable, but it, mm-hmm. uh, yes, yeah, it can't relate to at all. Yeah. <laughs> and it, it comes out in his snark, which once again, can't relate, but uh, <laughs> I, I like that. It kind of comes back in this after he gets over the crest of his panic attack and trying to maintain some sense of professional like courtesy and all that. And then eventually it boils over to like, I'm not going to let you off the hook for this necessarily. Like we're going to work together, but I need to illustrate to you how important it is that you say, like you call this what it is and it's a shark attack, man. Like, you, you know, and, and he's, he doesn't necessarily let Brody get away with it, even though he knows that Brody knows that this is all a charade he has to put it in plain speak to him to just say hey like no this isn't this isn't what's happening and i'm not gonna let this continue to happen like if you want my help going forward with this we need to be able to say this is a shark attack and we i need to guarantee we are on the same page with this there's I'm really sorry for just hijacking all of the great things uh, in this scene, but I I am not ex- I'm not exaggerating when I said I had so many notes, um, and I'm not even confident that I've covered all of the things. But yeah, uh, another thing that I again one of those just really subtle little things, but actually it comes into play later in this moment that we're talking about, and then also much 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 later in the film as well is um, the cleaning of his glasses. So uh, Hooper takes his glasses off to clean them just as he is about to properly examine the remains. And this is a thing we saw him do in the previous scene. So his glasses are clean. I'm not entirely sure they need cleaning again, but this is clearly just a thing that that he does. But it's also showing or signifying that he needs that absolute clarity and focus in this moment um and then where that comes back later in the film is when he is 
putting the goggles on as he's in the uh, the shark cage mm-hmm. and he is struggling to to clean them then so this is clearly like a hooperism a thing that he a thing that he does and mm-hmm. it's one of those you know you don't you don't realize you're doing things but this is obviously something that he does to to help his focus and the him splashing his face with water at the end is also significant because that's what you do when you want to wake yourself up or you know you get up in the morning you splash water on your face and it gives you that well wakes you up certainly but also gives you that sort of clarity and that clearness in 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 what you're doing Mm. um so significant that that's what he does when he says that line uh it was a shark um to show there is there is no doubt there is no doubt at all um about what this is and and like chris you mentioned earlier that he says it was a shark and the neck the very next thing we see is a shark so it's a great sort of like cut into the next scene as well but yeah the significance Mm. of him sort of like splashing water on his face and he is woken up and he is he is seeing things as clearly as he is ever gonna see them it was a shark um and i just i love those small little character moments um that we get in this scene um, I think I mentioned all my favourite Roy Scheider things, but I just want to say again that he is a flawless actor and I will not hear anything bad said against him ever. Um, I will fight anyone in the I street. I mean, I, 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 don't, I, don't, I don't think he's the world's greatest actor, to be honest. Like, he, he gets properly overshadowed in French Connection mm. by Hackman. Like, Hackman eats him mm. for lunch in that I film. Um, and I, I didn't go much on all that jazz. Like, he wasn't bad, I didn't really like all that jazz. I think he's fantastic <laughs> in the movie. I think the yeah. movie goes on way too long. Mm. I'm not sure yeah. if I liked his performance in it. It was it was it was big. It was there was lots of choices being made, but mm. I'm not sure if they were the right choices. I don't know. Mm. I, I, it was always one of those like because yeah, we we did a bunch of 70s films, so I discussed the like he's very good in Sorcerer. I remember so liking him so in that. Good. <laughs> mm. but all that jazz uh, I didn't do an episode in, in the end but I don't remember being jazzed I guess sure. yeah I um, and late, later he would return to work with Spielberg with a uh, Sequest DSV I believe mm-hmm. <laughs> yep that was <laughs> have, him have not seen but need to um, I, I think he's I think he's I don't think you do <laughs> <laughs> I'll watch it still um, I think he's un- yeah. underrated and under appreciated i think maybe it's just my incredible jaws bias that i think the main trio in this are incredible and they're amazing in everything that they do but i've just been i've been watching a lot of roy scheider films recently and just really appreciating everything that he puts into it and mj you said earlier about those it's those little looks it's in those quiet moments it's in those subtleties he's not a particularly showy actor which is why i think all that jazz is maybe a bit jarring because it is a showy film and Mm. a showy performance i I personally think he's really really fantastic in that film and i did like it a lot um but for me it's it's in these moments it's in scenes like this it's in those those tiny character moments that look exchanged between characters that subtle change of face conveying things and feelings and emotions without saying anything is where i think his strength really lies he has such an expressive face and i think that 
we see so much of that in in this scene and some really really great stuff from from richard dreyfus as well i love watching the two of them together on screen it's just like my favorite thing <laughs> yeah i think one of the things is he got i think he kind of got pushed out of the spotlight by like a dustin hoffman i feel like they have similar mm-hmm. and goes a little bit bigger than ray scheider but he, like ray scheider he also has this weird face not that he's unattractive by any stretch of the imagination but he's not like i don't know i've been reading pictures at a revolution by mark harris and he has a great line where he says that the 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 be- it's about the best picture nominees of 1967 if you guys haven't mm-hmm. read the book it's fantastic but he uh, the movies that were nominated were bonnie and clyde in the heat of the night guess who's coming to dinner graduate and dr doolittle and he talks about how there was a big shakeup in 67 where Warren Beatty is a classically handsome, traditional looking actor that becomes a producer. And Dustin Hoffman looks like a producer, but becomes a huge leading man <laughs> in <laughs> 1967. And I think Roy Scheider is caught in this limbo where he's not quite as every man looking as Dustin Hoffman, he's very tall. He's got sort of a boxer's build and a boxer's nose, but he's not quite as traditionally handsome as like a Cary Grant or um, a Warren Beatty or anything like that. So there's, I feel like people didn't know what to do with him really as an actor. And then by that point where he's really getting high profile stuff, I almost feel like he's losing out to a lot of roles that Dustin Hoffman, I have no basis for that whatsoever, but I feel like they would have played similar roles, but Dustin Hoffman ended up getting the the, the heat that, that Roy Scheider missed out on a little bit. But, but Dustin Hoffman is, he's both a better actor and more good looking. I or was, I'm not going to say now. <laughs> I'm a, I'm a Roy Scheider stan. I will defend him forever until my dying day <laughs> Schneider's, Schneider's an everyman and he's very good at that he's, you know, like yes, he's very yeah. good in this film as that role yeah the perfect everyman I think and yeah particularly in this this is like Brody is the quintessential everyman and he is absolutely the perfect perfect casting in this role and all of this film is, is cast to perfection but I think him in particular he is is so great I'm, I'm just i'm really looking forward to just the rest of this film and particularly when it gets into the three of them on the boat uh because at that point we don't have all these other zany wild little side characters to get into or you know bad hat harry or the tiger shark guy or the tafts or anything like that it's just going to be the three of them and i think that's going to be really exciting to get into because it is just going to boil down to all those really small moments and interactions between those three and it's obviously when the sort of action and and tension really ramps up as well so oh man we've got we've got so much good stuff to get into i just i'm excited for all of this film and love talking about it so much just in case that wasn't obvious speaking (laughs) of speaking of tiger shark guy next week baby i'm so excited oh yeah Chris, what a what an absolute treat this has been to have you on the show. Um, we've loved having you on, um, talking all things Jaws and and more. Um, so if you want to tell people where they can find you on Twitter and elsewhere and um, plug your podcast as well, then the floor is yours. Sure, if you want to hear me talk about 
Spielberg films and TV, then I'd go to like iTunes and look up Spielberg Pod, the Steven Spielberg film, the Steven Spielberg podcast. Um, but my current podcast is called Easy Riders Raging Podcast, which is a retro film podcast. We're currently doing our third series and just looking at 50s films. So if you want to look that up, we're on iTunes and all the podcast places, but also on Twitter at ERR podcast. Yeah, and we'll put all the links and stuff uh, in the show notes and whatnot. So definitely go and follow Chris and check out uh, the podcast as well. You can follow us on Twitter. Um, the show is at Jaws for a minute. I am at Sarah Buttery and MJ is at MJ Smith 891. We currently have a competition. Uh, all details are in our pinned tweet. You just need to follow the show and both of us and retweet that pinned tweet and you could win a t-shirt um so definitely go and do that it closes on the 26th of february so you still have a little while uh, to go and enter that if you want to email us or uh, send us any feedback questions or anything else you can do that our email address is jaws for a minute at gmail.com and speaking of email I have to mention this because I told them that I would. <laughs> we had a really lovely email from uh, a guy called Jeremy. So shout out to Jeremy if you're listening, um, who has introduced me to this whole community of podcasters who make minute by minute breakdown of podcasts. And he did a Jaws one as well. And it's very, very cool. So shout out to Jeremy and Tyson who uh, present that show. They re- seem really nice guys. And that whole community has been very welcoming i thought we were going to get sued uh <laughs> because we got this long old email that's like did you know there was another jaws one and i was like oh my goodness i really hope at no point in the past we said we're the only jaws minute by minute breakdown podcast uh we are not and <laughs> those guys are super nice um you should go and check out their show as well i think there is room for many minute by minute breakdown podcasts of jaws and other films because everyone is going to have different perspectives and different thoughts on these things. And that was what they were saying as well. So we're going to try and get them on the show at some point. I think, I think that'd be really fun um, to have guys on who have also done this absolutely insane thing. Um, So we can have like some big crossover episode or something, but yeah, that was a really nice, a nice email to get and nice to have been welcomed into that community as well. Um, I thought everyone was going to be like, burn the witch when I <laughs> found out that was another Jaws podcast uh, that we'd stolen it. But nope, nope. Yeah. They're all I, super nice. <laughs> I got the notification that they followed us on Twitter and it said the real Jaws for a minute podcast. And I started, <laughs> I started breathing like Hooper in the scene. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, oh no, what's happened? What have we done? Have we annoyed someone? Are we going to get sued? All yeah, of the I rational... Like, Can I- can I have a thimble of water, please? <laughs> yeah, me and MJ just hyperventilating because we're totally rational and normal people. <laughs> I screenshotted it and sent it to Sarah and was like, oh no, are we in trouble? <laughs> yeah, always my instant reaction uh, with anything like that is like, what have I done? Am I in trouble? Uh, who's going to come looking for me? But nope, all is well. Um, so a very I think that's the motto of all podcasts are we in trouble is the motto <laughs> yeah. of, of, of many a podcast yeah we're now in trouble with Army Hammer and many <laughs> other people that we've slandered I'm sure um, yes if you want to I, th- I think Arnie's going to be available for a guest spot in later episodes oh. the way his career seems to be tanking yeah we'll so. do the one-two punch <laughs> of him and Gina Carano oh boy 
Arnie, if you want to be on Easy Riders, then give me a call and I'll, I'll put you on. <laughs> and pick a really good film for him to for him to chew on. Yeah. Hey. <laughs> yeah, we never talked about Cannibal Holocaust, Cannibal Holocaust, so he's welcome to come on yeah. and talk about that. <laughs> Silence of the Lambs. I mean, there's tons of things. The the world is your oyster. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, okay, yes, you can buy our merchandise on Tea Public and Redbubble. The link is in our Twitter bio to do that. Um, and if you wanted to buy us a coffee, support the show in that way, you can do that. The link is also in the Twitter bio. Uh, that link has all the things you need, so just go and check that out. You can uh, rate and review us on your podcatcher of choice. Um, that helps other people find the show and is nice to read nice things that people have said about us as well. So leave us um, a rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you listen and go and give Easy Riders Raging uh, a review as well. Be nice to those guys because uh, Chris has been a fabulous guest and they need your support and listens as well. So go and check them out. And yeah, I think that is us for this week. So until next time, it's Jaws O'Clock somewhere. <laughs>